The work of the COPS office is vital to state and local law enforcement agencies, and by extension, the safety of our communities. The COPS office is the cornerstone of our nation's policing strategy, community-oriented policing. The hiring program, its work and collaborative reform, and efforts to improve officer safety and wellness is critical, especially at this time. Today we're joined by Hugh Clements, the director of the COPS office. Hugh has extensive experience in law, law enforcement, starting in 1985 as, with the Providence Police Department as a patrol officer, and eventually became the chief. Hugh also is a longtime member of the Fraternal Order Police and a member of our National Board of Trustees. He is a decorated officer, nationally recognized expert and speaker on law enforcement trends. I am Patrick Yeos, National President of Fraternal Order Police. This is the Blue View. Well, Hugh, thank you for, for coming to the you know to our podcast. You know, Hugh and I go back a long ways. Uh, uh, probably uh, two, three decades of uh, just uh, great friendships and and uh, just admired the way you've handled yourself over those years. Uh, for our viewers that maybe don't know you, tell them a little bit about yourself. So, Mr. President, Pat, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, I just came from the field uh, in the beginning of, beginning of February of 2023 to the Department of Justice, the COPS Office, Community Oriented Policing Services, I spent a career in the field, 38 years with the Providence Police Department, capital city of Rhode Island. Uh, 38 years I came up through the ranks. Uh, I spent about half my time in patrol uh, coming up through the ranks. And each time you make rank, uh, you have to go back to patrol, which I always enjoyed. And the other half on the investigative side, in uh, detectives, narcotics. Spent a lot of time investigating cases, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. I mean, that was my real passion, but I always really gravitated to going back to uniform. And I really found my greatest joy when I went back to uniform as a lieutenant. And we began the, uh, the community-oriented policing approach locally in Rhode Island. And that was the most rewarding portion of my career, working closely, being a mini police chief at the time in this uh, respective community, a hard hit, tough community. And then, uh, so that was 26 years on both sides of the shop, investigative and patrol. And then my last 12 years as chief of police. You know, I look at, uh, I look at our profession and uh, you have been able, you know, we need to look at community already policing and what it stands for. I mean, just, just the the pure definition of it. Um, You've kind of lived it your entire life long before you ever came to the cop's office. Uh, I've always admired the way that you've uh, you've been able you've been a leader, obviously in the FOP for years as well. That's that's how you and I know each other. But but also within your community, it, it doesn't matter whether or not you're uh, part of the community or some of the some of the groups that you would think that would be you know potentially you know have negative opinions of the of the police and the officers themselves. Everybody everybody respected mm-hmm. respected the way that you went about it that court that community oriented police is something that's really embedded into into your whole your whole uh, career yes and I, you know i think it came naturally and then i surrounded myself with some tremendous uh women and men uh, who wear the uniforms want to serve and they developed and had a passion for the city off oftentimes the city they grew up in they went to school in they came from and even if they didn't uh, they just had great passion for people and compassion for for those who uh, maybe didn't have the same opportunities that they, they did uh, growing up. And, you know, some of the communities and some of the situations we worked in were very trying and difficult. And 
towards the community policing front, I would say that community policing is labor intensive. It, it takes a lot of time and a lot of work. And much of what we do in the policing world, and you and I know, Pat, I mean, this profession has changed significantly. We have transformed this profession over the last 35 years. You and I came on the job the same, same time, you in 84, me in 85. It has changed immensely over the years. But community policing is labor intensive. And I've always said that community policing is a co-producing event with both the community and the police department. And that is important. And you build those, that structure and that capital in the community and you celebrate the successes along the way in your community, but as well, you know, you, uh, you live the blood, sweat and tears yeah. of many of these communities and uh, the community appreciates that co-producing partnership. And when you, uh, you look at, uh, at law enforcement, uh, just, just in general, the very powers that we have as law enforcement officers are directly related to trust of our communities. And if you look across this country, I mean, look, there's a, there's a, there's a huge contrast. There are agencies across this country and cities, and yours was one of them, who, who had such a strong rela working relationship with the public that it was a force multiplier. You're, you know, you just didn't have a police department, which you had as a community that was invested in a safe, you know, a, a safe strategy. Uh, and you look at those communities across this country, they, they truly get it. They're not the ones that are struggling, like some cities that are just an adversarial relationship with their law enforcement. Um, and so you, you definitely, you definitely uh, did it right. Uh, and many departments have, and I, I think those departments that do it right, they look at their police department as almost like the hub of the power wheel even if they wanted street lights fixed in their community or, you know, traffic signals or public works type activity, they would go through their district commander. They would go through their police department. Uh, as you know, Pat, cause you've done it too. You take phone calls on the wildest things that have nothing to do with your power as a police officer, but they looked at you in your, your duty in serving your community, like someone who could get this done. Yeah. And that meant a lot to them. Well, you know, the fact that they're reaching out tells you that that's half the equation right there. That's There's right. some trust and some, some, uh, some belief that uh, that's going to be taken serious. So the, the entire model, you know, I, I think there's a lot to learn of those cities mm -hmm. that, that truly get it by, by some that are maybe struggling. You know, let's, uh, let's, let's shift a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. there is a, and I want to thank you. You know, we held, we brought in about 80 leaders from across the country. Uh, ATF allowed us to use the auditorium. And, and we had a, uh, a summit to talk about recruiting and retention across the country. Uh, an existential threat that exists within our profession. The damage that has been done is starting off with COVID and followed by all of the unrest and, you know, defunding and reimagining. All of these things have really taken a toll on law enforcement profession. Uh, and, and, not surprisingly, it's also taken a toll on the amount of people who are stepping up and being the next wave of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So we find ourselves in a position now where people are leaving at a, at a pace that we've never seen before. And we're just not having as many of the best and brightest stepping up and being part of our profession because of a number of factors. So I want to thank you for being part of that. I think there's some really great, uh, great thought that came out of it. But, uh, but one thing, probably the strongest that uh, and you and I were talking just before we started this is that um, they all want leadership. Mm -hmm. They, they, you know, every single, you know, we, we put everybody together and we talk about, you know, leaders of unions across this country, you know, in the largest police, you know, 
money's important, benefits are important, but but probably the highest on the list is they just want leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's talk about where we are in space and time, and 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 the path forward to 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 get the best and brightest attracted back to this profession, uh, so that we don't have we don't have this brain drain where we've we've seen all this experience walking out of the doors. And in a lot of agencies, we have people who have very little experience that are in leadership roles because they just they don't have as many people in the agency, you know, that they've lost all that knowledge. And you're exactly right. I mean, this these last couple of years have been a moment and we remain in that moment that's not likely to be rectified uh, in the space of a year. It may take a three, five year, 10 year period, a decade to amend. But traditionally, in the time that we came on the job, uh, police departments and police leaders were recruiting for young men and women, predominantly back then, young men. And so I, I think that's part of what, what we'll speak about is uh, police leaders and police agencies really need to think differently of who they're recruiting on their force. But those leaders in those departments were recruiting for a sense of adventure. And you saw that in their pamphlets, in their advertising material, in their recruiting efforts in the community. But now I think it's shifted, and rightfully so, to a sense of purpose. We've become more of a community-oriented uh, profession, and I think we have to look at uh, switching the way we actively recruit members to enter this workforce. I know one of the buzzwords, and I, I believe in it strongly, is we're looking for young men and women who have a high degree of emotional intelligence who really can sympathize and empathize and empathize and empathize with those in need. And so there are so many things that came, came up at that session. I believe it was in April. And I want to thank the fraternal order of police for being a big voice and a big part of that session, along with many of the other major policing groups and uh, groups from the community as well. We've talked about recruitment and retention for 20 years, for 10 years, but it's changing on the fly all the time. This is the latest guidance, a fresh guidance. I think it's very well done is to what agencies and municipal leaders can look at to attract the best and the brightest without lowering standards. And I think we speak about that all the time. Like, look, we... If we're going to lower the standards, we're, we're not doing anyone favors. Absolutely not. And we're, we're not actually creating the problems. And we know that from past history. Right. So, you know, they, but there was some really good guidance that came from it, including some of the things that just hold everyone back in this very competitive job market. So this generation, where every generation is different. But, you know, if they have an intent of entering this workforce for a sense of purpose, and it just takes too long and they get sent in so many different directions, they're gonna move on to something else. Oh, no doubt. And one of the things, even in my own agencies, things things just got bottlenecked with the testing process. And oftentimes we lost really good, valuable recruits to other agencies or to other professions because the testing process took too long. And I think we need to look at creative ways to streamline that process and to attract the best and brightest. And as well, we've done we've done fairly well with recruiting a newer workforce, I- including getting uh, young men from very well-educated who are not happy in uh, their profession, whether it be accounting, uh, lawyers, Ivy League schools that saw 
they could enter a profession for that sense of purpose and really make an impact in their community. And you and I know, Pat, there is no other profession like a police officer. Oh, you make a you, difference. You make a difference. You can make lives. a difference where you have the ability yeah. to impact a young boy, a young girl, a young man, a young woman, a, a family, an entire public housing development. You can impact an entire community with one act. Yeah. And, and I say all the time, used to say all the time at roll calls that, you know, every interaction counts. Make it a good one. That's it. Because if it's a bad one, you can end up on CNN, Fox, That's ABC, it. NBC, and with a bad interaction. I'll add another one to you. Maya Angelou said that people won't always remember what you told them, but they will remember how you made them feel. That's it. That's right. And you're dealing with people on some of their worst days, uh, and they're looking for some help. And the way that you approach that, you can make you can make a profound difference in somebody's life. We have that ability. I mean, it is an awesome responsibility. Absolutely. To raise your right hand and wear a patch for whatever community, city, sheriff's office, and to wear a badge and to have that power of arrest. But the ability to really make an impact, there's no other job like it. You know, I wanna I wanna I wanna carry that a little further. I wanna talk about some of the some of the the support that comes out of the cops office. Before we do, I want to talk a little bit more about recruiting. Um, before we could fix a recruiting problem, and I know you'll you'll agree with me on this and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. I'm of the opinion that you can't fix recruiting until you fix retention. Uh, you know, I did a, a you know, it's, it's dated now. When I was in college, I did a, I did a, uh, a survey, rather large survey on why people got into law enforcement, what, what attracted them to it. And it's not surprising it about a little better than 80% identified the fact that somebody within law enforcement saw and took an interest in them and said, you know what, this might be a good fit for you. You ever thought about coming and by going to the Academy and, 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 and kind of recruited them found them, recruited them, and brought them in. It was that personal contact that made it happen. And so now we, we fast forward now at a time when, you know, the demonization of law enforcement over a period of time has taken such a toll. How many law enforcement officers are excited about going find that next person and saying, hey, what, you've got what it takes to be the law enforcement officer? That, that Those numbers took a hit. So until we recognize that, I don't know how we fix a recruiting problem because our biggest recruiters are the people who are on this job themselves. And in a lot of agencies across this country, they're just not feeling appreciated. And, and you're right. And it's one of the reasons why I take this job. And this is not a quick fix. And I do not anticipate on uh, amending this in a one, two year term. But one of the reasons why I was excited about this position was an opportunity to elevate the image of this profession, what I think is the greatest, the most noble profession uh, in the work that we do in our communities. Uh, number one, and, and I speak to many large groups uh, about the work we do in the cops office. And one of the groups I speak to is they all had recruitment and retention very high on their list with problems in policing, if not number one. Every single group that I spoke to, including uh, National Leagues of Cities and Towns and the U.S. Conference of Mayors. And was delivering the same message to each of these groups that it's important for political leadership as well to recognize. And one of the things I learned at that session, and as I took this role, where I came from, retention really wasn't a big issue, but I did recognize in speaking to predominantly larger agencies, retention is a huge issue as you speak around the country. So we need to look at how do we hold on to uh, valued employees who love the work they do in the field and we should we should spend probably more time 
trying to hold on to those that have already established themselves in the profession, at least as much time as recruiting, because, you know, they want to stay. In a survey that Fraternal Order Police recently done, I think it was over 85% of the workforce still were proud to wear the uniform, be a police officer, love their job, but had a lot of questions about, you know, the negative aspects going around and white noise around their, their yeah. profession. And, but they wanted to remain on the job. And I think we need to fix that. And I think you're spot on before yeah. we take that next step. We need to fix that. Yeah. Hugh, let's uh, you know, talk about, you know, the, the whole, the whole structure. There's just some great people in a cop's office who do some amazing work and uh, giving the tools to law enforcement, uh, you know, law enforcement agents across this country to be able to make a difference through training, uh, through research, through through a number of things. And and love having you there with your law enforcement experience. I know you bring a lot to the table with it, but but uh, something that we're real proud of is some of the grant funding that comes out of out of uh, the cops office and allows us to be able to do things that are important for our function, to be able to, to raise that heightened awareness of just how, how, how bad our, how difficult our job can be at times, uh, both on a, a physical and mental state. Um, and, and I'd like to just talk about a few of them. Um, you know, obviously officer wellness is, is a big one and we receive fraternal order police has, uh, has some substantial funding coming from the cops office. We appreciate that. And it allows us to, to create programs that are helpful for our members. Um, you look at the, you know, average person, average person might have, you know, what, four, three, four traumatic events in their lifetime. And we know a traumatic event can change somebody physically, mentally, Well, law enforcement officers have that repetitive. I mean, they may have that a hundred times in their career, 180 times in a career. I've heard a whole bunch of different and uh, different numbers, but the reality is, is we're all human. Uh, you know, when you see the worst of humanity, you're dealing with some of these things that you know that it's going to take a toll on you. And officer wellness is so vitally important to what we do. Um, you know, I look at, I look at, uh, at law enforcement officers, when we hire them, they go through psych evaluations, they go through physical evaluations, they go through the academy, do all of these things. And it doesn't take long before they find themselves in a, in a, in a, you know, a, a, a group that has higher, you know, you know, susceptibility to a lot of things that the average public doesn't have. So to think that somehow it doesn't take a toll on it. And the wellness programs that we do is so important. Um, I'd like to just hear your views on, and I know the support you give us is great. Uh, very much appreciated, but your views on officer wellness and, and what we're asking ordinary people to do every single day and somehow think it doesn't affect them. It, it really is imperative for us to uh, feed and fuel the field around the uh, Lean Wild Law Enforcement Mental Health and Wellness Program that we have. And we've dedicated quite a bit of money from the cops office to the field, and, and we appreciate the hard work of the FOP. Sherry Martin does a fabulous does, job does in the field, job. and I always give her a shout-out, but well-deserved. Yeah. And look, you're right, uh, Mr. President. You know, the emotional trauma that police officers deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, it adds up and it affects all of us differently. Uh, you know, I thought about it when I retired. I really didn't think about it much as I was going along the way because one call leads to the next and uh, one year leads into the next and one promotion and assignment leads to the next. But that emotional uh, trauma in all these situations you've been involved in adds up in, in my era in the Providence Police, we lost four officers killed in the line of duty. And, you know, the, those are blood.
blood, sweat, and tears of an agency. Not not yeah. only officers killed in a line of duty, but officers you lose through illness, whether it's cancer or whatever. But it really is a second family, the policing world and the emotional trump. So there's, I think there's three levels of distress in that police officers deal with. And I think one is the the high trauma and emotional trauma you receive from critical incidents, whether you've been involved in a shootout or responding to a horrific car accident with a uh, young child or a young couple involved or a sexual assault. I mean, every single day, police officers are dealing with critical incidents and very high emotional trauma situations. Secondly, organizational distress and, and cultural distress. And thirdly, operational distress. Yeah. So all of that builds up on the officers and we can't do enough around wellness and support work-life balance. Yeah. And especially with this newer generation that we're trying to attract into the workforce, they want to hear a lot more about work-life ba balance, being home more with their families, rightfully so. Yeah. A lot of these young men and women, they just started the family. Some of them are, are couples. They're both in law enforcement and, and they need uh, their agency to recognize that they love what they do, but they need that balance. They need that balance and they need it in the very beginning. They don't need it after there's a problem. And that's, uh, it needs to be built into our academies. It needs to be built into every aspect we do in our in-service training and preparing our, and preparing our law enforcement officers and their families for, you know, a, 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 a productive and healthy, healthy life in this profession. So great, uh, great work that's being done. We couldn't do it. We absolutely couldn't do it without the cop's office. So appreciate we that. do appreciate uh, the, uh, the, the support that comes there as well. I want to talk about one more, something that's kind of, you would think in, in a, uh, you know, in, in an area where the statistics are kept on everything, mm -hmm. there was one uh, statistic that was never kept. And that was how many law enforcement officers are being shot in a line of duty. And uh, so the blue alert grant, something that we were, you know, we work closely with the cops office allows us to be able to track that data uh, and, and shows the trends that happen that are happening across this country. It, it brings attention to how dangerous our job is. Um, but that would, again, that would not be possible and no one else is collecting that data. It would not be possible if we support the cops office. So thank you for that as well, which brings us to a pretty disturbing topic. And that is, is the attacks on law enforcement. You know, so far this year, uh, you know, we're recording this in advance, uh, but so far this year, we still have six months left. I'm sorry, six weeks left in this year. And we've already matched the amount of officers shot last year. That's right. So we're going to set a record this year unless uh, unless something, a miracle happens. And when we're seeing it, that progression is happening every single year, you know, give or take a little bit here or there, but we're seeing, we're seeing, we're seeing more and more law enforcement officers being shot, but I guess probably most disturbing is the amount of officers that are being ambushed attacked just because of who they are. Um, there's some disturbing trends here uh, that are happening across this country, uh, which, which are, you know, from your perspective in the cop's office, uh, tell me what we, you know, what's being done to, to recognize that and how uh, some grant funding is helping combat this, uh, this issue across the country. So first off, the cops office is proud to partner with the Fraternal Order of Police on this very appropriate congressionally uh, funded uh, award package and appropriately named after officers Ramos and, and Lou from the NYPD, I believe it was 2014, in a horrific ambush attack. And you're right, this year I think we sit at, uh, sadly, very sadly, 325 police officers have been shot this year. And that's the data collected by 
the FOP. And in those, I think there are 102 ambushes. Yeah. That's a disturbing, disturbing. And it's increasing every year. It, it, that's incredible to me uh, in a very disturbing way. And of those 102 ambush attacks, 22 officers have been killed. So it's a uh, data trend that is clearly going in the wrong direction and speaks to the dangers uh, of this profession. And we can't do enough to support uh, the men and women who courageously and bravely go out there and serve. But it's it's unfortunate because they're sitting ducks by the mere fact they wear a uniform and serve their communities. And it's uh, we're, we're doing a lot surrounding law enforcement, uh, mental health and wellness, but there's Blue Alert Network. Right now we have 37 states that are actively involved. We're looking to get all 50, get the District of Columbia and get our territories, get everyone involved in the National Blue Alert Network. Great program uh, began uh, with the, the formation and the, uh, the start from the, from the FOP. And we appreciate your, your leadership, Mark. Mark McDonald, uh, we appreciate his efforts on this front. You know, Hugh, before we turn the cameras on, you and I were kind of reminiscing about the changes we've seen in our long careers of law enforcement uh, from where we were there to where we are today. So much, so much more that we've never, law enforcement has never been more educated or, or you know, than they are today, better equipped. Uh, all of this, you know, is, is a journey that we've watched to develop over time. Uh, from the cop's office perspective, what do you see in the future? So yes, obviously we have some huge challenges ahead of us with recruitment, retention, violent crime, uh, the landscape on that, uh, the violent nature, almost the more horrific uh, in the, the eyes of the criminally intent, the better it is in their eyes. So it's, it's disturbing on our end. So all of the programs we have in the cops office are dedicated to the new trends going on in law enforcement. And I, I need a moment at this time to thank the members of the COPS team. Uh, when I first took over, they told me that, welcome to the COPS office, congratulations, you'll be the director, but you'll be the only cop in the office. Yeah. And, but these men and women that work in that agency, they care so passionately about the work in the field and the buckets that we have for funding in the field. And they, along with the leadership, pick these buckets of COPS hiring program, which is the flagship program, school violence prevention, uh, preparing for active shooter, uh, the anti-methamphetamine and heroin programs, uh, fentanyl is killing communities across this country. Yes, but all of these efforts are the future trends of policing and, and technology is going to play such a yeah. huge role in our efforts in law enforcement because we know, I mean, this recruitment retention thing is not going to fix itself in the next year or two. Uh, it's number take, one, it'll take a decade maybe. Yeah, absolutely. But number two, I, I think we really need to recognize the amazing advent of technology. Technology is improving so quickly that the regulation can't keep up with it quick enough. Yeah. But we've already seen it in the last couple of years with, you know, uh, body-worn cameras, uh, red light cameras, speed cameras, license plate readers, all to assist in our efforts of making our community safer. And I think they've been great additions yeah. to the field. And I think we'll see more as we go along the way and speaking to uh, leaders in the technology industry. I think we need to continue to have our eye on that vision and technology, but it will always be 
it will always be about the relationships and partnerships in the community and building trust in the community. Well, I can tell you, I'm going to have, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, my, my interactions with the uh, cops office and, and the staff there has been absolutely great. You're right. They're very much invested in, uh, and, and believe in what they're doing and, uh, just a great asset to law enforcement agencies across this country. Somebody wants to know more about the cops office and some of the grant funding that's available. Uh, what would be the best way to go about that? So very simply go online and go to USDOJ cops office and the website is fantastic. And the cops office not only provides a tone in the form of our grants, but we do a lot of work and training and technical assistance with the uh, great work we do in CRITAC collaborative reform initiative technical assistance center of which the fraternal order of police is a valued partner in that field and the third bucket that we provide a lot of resources to the law enforcement arena in is the uh resources in the form of publications guidance the uh the website has all of the publications from the beginning of the cops office so i urge everyone to go to that website and we also have an online training portal and where in this day and age where training is key, tra training is the, the, the main ingredient in everything we do. And oftentimes it's the first thing cut in a budget where you can get free training and free training and technical assistance from the cops office. Hopefully your agencies get the grants that you apply for, but the needs far outpace the funding. But what everybody can get is the free training, technical assistance, in the online training portal. Well, Hugh, thank you for all you do. Mr. Thanks President, to all thank the members you. of COPS office for the hard work that they do uh, and Department of Justice, BJA. We just great working relationships and this is, this is truly a journey we all take together. And I thank you and the FOP for the partnership. And to our viewers and listeners, uh, thank you for tuning into the Blue View podcast where, where we talk about the issues that are so vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up every single day in communities across this country and make a difference. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.